I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're reflecting on a mournful day in Illinois history a road bridge failure that claimed the lives of nearly 50 people. As a warning, today's episode includes discussion of gross negligence and needless human suffering, which some listeners may rightfully find disturbing. The day was May 4, 1873. An iron toll bridge in Dixon, Illinois, collapsed into the Rock River and took a crowd of more than 200 people with it. The majority were able to swim free of the wreckage, but dozens of others were crushed by it, with many being pinned down just beneath the water's surface. In total, 46 people lost their lives in the collapse and 56 more were injured. Even now, 150 years later, it remains the worst vehicular bridge disaster in American history. Post-Civil War Dixon, about a hundred miles west of Chicago, was a growing city split in half by the Rock River, a tributary of the Mississippi. Over the course of decades, nearly a dozen wooden bridges had been built across the river, but in every case, they were eventually washed away by raging floods. Finally, in 1868, residents began to call for a more reliable solution the construction of an iron bridge that could withstand the force of the Rock River even at its most relentless. The city council reviewed 14 different proposals, ultimately choosing a design by Lucius Truesdell of Massachusetts, who had already constructed several bridges in Illinois, including a similar one in the nearby town of Elgin. Truesdell's design called for an iron bridge 660 feet long, longer than any he'd constructed before. 
Its 18-foot-wide deck would be flanked on either side by a 5-foot-wide sidewalk, and its iron superstructure would stand 18 feet above the water. The total cost of the bridge was $75,000, money which the city hoped to recoup by charging tolls. It was later revealed that city engineer L. Stanton had urged the council not to accept Truesdell's offer due to his fear that the bridge wouldn't be as strong as the designer claimed. Stanton was eventually dismissed from the project due to his opposition, but even before the Dixon Bridge was completed, there were clear indications that Stanton had been right to doubt Truesdale's work. Just a few weeks before the Dixon Bridge was opened, the Truesdale Bridge in Elgin partially collapsed. It was promptly repaired, but then six months later, it collapsed again. One newspaper tried to shield Truesdale from blame, claiming that, quote, the foundations of the structure must have been tampered with by some evil-disposed persons. Truesdale gladly adopted that account, but it almost certainly wasn't true. Despite the red flags, though, Dixon stood by the designer and proceeded with the final load tests of its own bridge. Four teams of pack animals and dozens of people hauled loads of stone and flour across the structure all at once to test its sturdiness. Then, satisfied that it would hold, the mayor opened the new bridge to the public on January 21st, 1869. There was great fanfare that day, including a half-mile parade, and people from miles around came to get a glimpse of the bridge. One local reporter was dazzled by what he saw, writing, quote, A structure more truly grand and beautiful to the eye can be found in no western city, and we presume in no eastern one either. Grand and beautiful it may have been, but stable it was not. On May 4, 1873, just four years after its dedication, the Dixon Bridge collapsed into the river below. Shortly after noon on that sunny spring day, a crowd of people gathered on the bridge and along the North River Bank to watch a baptism. It had been a long winter, and witnessing a spiritual rite of passage seemed to the townspeople like a fitting way to welcome the new season. Reverend J. H. Pratt of the Baptist Church in Dixon presided over the ceremony. His flock had grown in recent months thanks to an influx of young women who had moved to the area to work in its local factories. Some of those women were among the ten or so people set to be baptized that afternoon, as was Reverend Pratt's own daughter. Their families and friends had come out to watch the festivities, with some kids even climbing the trusses of the bridge to get a better view. However, as the third person waded into the water to be baptized, the bridge suddenly began to vibrate. The bridge tender, Henry Strong, feared it would buckle under the crowd's weight. He pushed his way onto the walkway and ordered people off the trusses and away from the railing. Then, moments later, there was a loud cracking sound on the north span, and the bridge began to lurch. The end span, where everyone had gathered, collapsed completely. Then, the other three spans gave way as well and sank partially into the river. The bystanders still atop the bridge were thrown into the water, and when the truss fell over on top of them, many were trapped under the twisted gridiron. As the Chicago Tribune later reported, quote, Some sank to rise no more. Some were killed before they touched the water. Some jumped from the bridge to the river and swam ashore, and some were entangled in the debris imprisoned in an iron cage 
with which they sunk and from which there was no escape. Tragically, some of those people drowned less than one foot from the surface, with the edge of the water in clear view, but just out of reach. It would take several days before their bodies could be disentangled from the ironwork, which had to be cut away using hacksaws. The scene of the collapse was one of frantic struggle, both above and below the waterline. Those who avoided the wreckage made their way to the bank in a mad panic, reportedly pulling others down inadvertently along the way. Horses with buggies had been hurled off the bridge as well, adding to the sense of confusion as they tried to flail their way to shore. But there were also heroes amidst the chaos. Men like William Daly used wooden planks from the broken bridge to pull the injured to safety. And Reverend Pratt rescued at least a dozen people from the water single-handedly. The injured and the dead alike were carried to the nearest houses, which served as makeshift hospitals and morgues. Over the next several days, family members would stumble from one house to the next, hoping against the odds to find their loved ones alive and well. By the time the last body was recovered from the riverbed more than a week later, the death toll had risen to 46. Only seven of the victims were men, while the rest were women and children. The reason for that great disparity was likely twofold. First, many men had opted to stand on the bank so as not to block the view of women and girls. Although done with chivalrous intentions, the result was that far fewer men were plunged into the river when the bridge gave way. The second reason for the high number of female casualties was the state of women's fashion in the late 19th century. Floor-length dresses supported by metal hoops were the hottest style at the time, but those thick, long dresses made it nearly impossible to swim. In the months following the disaster, residents cast blame on everyone from Truesdell to the city council, and even, absurd as it was, on the Baptists. However, the overwhelming consensus, both in the town and in the press, was that Truesdell was indeed responsible. One newspaper dubbed Dixon's Bridge the Truesdell Trap, while another said it wasn't a bridge at all, but a patent wholesale drowning machine. Several Chicago engineers were asked to weigh in on what went wrong, and every one of them pinned the blame on poor design and an over-reliance on light and cast iron. Mr. Truesdell is no engineer at all, said one of the commenters. His methods of construction showed an ignorance of the fundamental principles of mechanics and had always been regarded as worthless by those whose opinion was regarded as valuable. Truesdell tried to clear his name by claiming, once again, that the bridge he designed had failed due to sabotage. In a letter to a Massachusetts newspaper, he boasted about a track record that wasn't nearly as impressive as he seemed to think. It is nearly 18 years since I began building iron bridges, he wrote, and the Elgin and Dixon bridges are the only ones that have fallen, and no loss of life except at Dixon. Can as much be said of any other plan? As it turned out, yes, yes it could. Lucius Truesdell never built another bridge, though some would argue that he had only barely done so in the first place. Today, there are two different plaques on the Dixon Riverwalk to honor those who died in the bridge disaster, and a new memorial will be unveiled at the site in 2023 to mark the 150th anniversary of the city's darkest day. In that way, although the tragedy took place long ago, 
The courage and compassion of the rescuers, the survivors, and the bereaved lives on. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider keeping up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at TDIHCshow. Special thanks to Dixon native Angela Hawes for suggesting the topic for today's episode. And if you have a historical subject you think I should cover, feel free to send your suggestions to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.